you have your Bibles this morning or something with your Bible on it, take them please and look in John chapter number 14. John chapter 14, we're going to look uh, starting in verse number 6. Just one verse this morning that I really want to pay attention to. I love that, uh, that second song we sang there. One of the lines in it that really blessed my heart this morning, spoke to my heart this morning is, we are to make His praise glorious for His name is glorious. You know, the scripture says that there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. amen. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So we can bow now or bow later, but as for me, I choose to bow down. I choose to worship Him now. And man, what a powerful time of worship that was this morning. Thank you so much, worship team. As always, you do a fantastic job. John chapter 14, verse number 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture we'll be looking at this morning. If you don't have John 14, 6 underlined, highlighted, circled, put a star by it, do something, man. You need to be able to get back to John 14, 6. Such powerful truth packed into one verse. Look what it says. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the great privilege you've given us this morning to come and worship you. For you alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy of our praise. Your name is glorious, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I'm praying today that you would be honored in absolutely everything that is said and done. Lord, I need you to speak to me. I'm asking you to speak through me. Holy Spirit, have your way and your will in this place. For you know what we need much better than we know what we need. We're asking, Lord, that you convict where conviction is needed and you comfort where comfort is needed in each and every heart. Again, Lord, may we, may we be different when we leave this place than we were, we were when we came in this place. And Lord, that can only happen by your power. Change hearts and start with mine today so that we might be pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. John 14, 6, the Bible tells us, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord willing, for the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking through the book of John, and we're going to be seeing some of the I am statements that Jesus made. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm asking you to be much in prayer for those services. Can't wait to see what the Lord does through that. But we're going to look at who Jesus is according to the eyewitness account of the Apostle John. Now this morning, we're finishing up what we started at the 1st of December. If you remember, we've been talking all throughout the month of December about the unexplainable indescribable gift. We're trying by the power of the Holy Spirit and the absolute truth of the Word of God to describe that which the Bible says is indescribable and to explain that which the Bible says is unexplainable. And uh, you remember uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 15. The Apostle Paul said, Thanks be unto God the Father for His unspeakable indescribable gift and the gift that he's speaking of there is a gift of grace and the greatest gift of grace that's ever been given to this world is the Lord Jesus Christ if you believe that say amen this morning and so we're trying to describe who Jesus is in talking about the gift that God has given and we know that to be the Lord for the Bible tells us that John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Jesus is God's gift to a lost and dying world. Jesus 
is God's gift to you and to me. And so we said at the beginning of, of all this, uh, in, at the first of December, that if we're really going to explain God's gift, we've got to talk about grace. How many of you this morning are thankful for God's amazing matchless grace? Grace is God's undeserved favor toward you and toward me. The hymn writer has it right, I believe, and says it best. She said it like this many years ago. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Isn't that good stuff? I love how she says that. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Not some of my sin, not most of my sin, not a lot of my sin, but grace that is greater than all my sin. How many of you know the Bible says that the blood of Christ covers a multitude of sin? My sin. Your sin. Our sin. No matter where we are, who we are, or what we've done, by the grace of God, we can be made right with God the Father. It's an amazing thing. I'm thankful this morning for God's amazing, matchless grace. If we're going to talk about God's gift to us, the G has to stand for grace. And then we talked about incarnation. For incarnation is the message of Christmas. What does it mean when we, what am I talking about when I, when I say incarnation? I'm saying that the message of Christmas is just this. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The Son of God and God the Son came and took upon Himself human flesh so that He might do for human beings what we can't do for ourselves. If you believe it this morning, say amen. He, is, he was the incarnate Son of God. God in the flesh. And then we talked last week about forgiveness. And man, I'm so thankful this morning for forgiveness. How many of you understand the Bible teaches that it is our sin that separates us from God? God is holy and God is righteous and God is just in every way and the Bible says we're not. Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned. We've all broken God's law and fallen short of His glory. Every one of us, no matter how hard we've tried, we've missed the mark. We don't measure up. And so I'm thankful this morning that God offers forgiveness. For if God does not make a way for us to be forgiven, then we are still separated from Him. Sin causes spiritual deadness, according to Ephesians 2 and 1. How many of you know, if God doesn't offer forgiveness, we are still spiritually dead in our sins? Sin sends us to a devil's hell. It's because of unconfessed, unrepented sin that hell is even a place. Now listen to me. Get a hold of this. You need to know, if we don't have forgiveness, then we're still condemned to a devil's hell. I'm thankful this morning, because God is good, He forgives. Let me, I want you to get a hold of this. Listen to this. Hear this if you don't. Hear nothing else. Do you realize that God doesn't forgive us because of our goodness? God forgives us because of His goodness. Hear that. Get a hold of that. And the reason I say it is because I've had so many people tell me, I'll invite them to come to church or come be a part of what God is doing in some way here. And they'll say, well, preacher, I'll tell you, when I get to where I can live it, 
then I'm going to do it. I mean, when I get to where I can live it, then I'm going to come in there and I'm going to get after it. Boy, I'm going to praise the Lord. We're going to follow Jesus. I, I'm going to really do it when I get to where I can live it. So really what they're saying is, when I can clean myself up enough, when I can get my act together a little bit, then I'm going to come to the Lord and, and then I'll be forgiven and, and do what the Lord wants me to do. Now, listen to me, folks. First of all, that's impossible. You're never going to clean yourself up enough to be acceptable to God who is perfectly holy. That's why you need forgiveness. That's why you need grace. God is not asking you to clean yourself up and come to Him. God is saying, come to me and I'll clean you up. God is saying, come to me and I'll wash you clean of your sin. For the Bible says the blood of Christ is what washes us clean. And once He washes us with His blood, by faith in his finished work, when that happens, we'll be whiter than snow. Can you see me? We can be forgiven. God has made a way through his son so that we might have forgiveness. Now, what really blows my mind in all of that is God doesn't have to be good. He's good, therefore he forgives. He's good, therefore he loves. He's good, therefore He shows grace and mercy. He's good, therefore He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. But He don't have to be good. Do you know that? You say, brother, what do you mean God don't have to be good? Well, He has all authority. Anybody who has all authority don't have to be good. Does that make sense to you? Let me share with you what the Bible says about the God we serve. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth. Look, the Bible says that, first of all, he is omnipotent. That's just a big word that means he's all-powerful. That means he can do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, how he wants. He's sovereign and in control of everything. The Bible says that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. And there's not anything in this earth that don't ultimately belong to him. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He has complete authority. Let me tell you what else the Bible teaches about this God we serve. It teaches that He is omniscient. What does that mean? That just means He has all knowledge. He knows the words I'm going to say before I speak them. He knows the things I'm going to do before I do them. He knows where I'm going before I get up to go. And He does you too. I'm just one of about seven and a half billion people upon the planet, but in seven and a half billion people, God knows our down-sitting. God knows our uprising. God knows what we think or what we, our thoughts before we think them and our words before we speak them. For all of us, think about just how big, powerful, and just how much knowledge God has. When King David was writing of this in the book of Psalms, he said, it's too much for me to grasp. Lord, it's blowing my mind every time I start thinking about just how big, powerful you really are. I understand where he's coming from, don't you? God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, but the Bible also teaches he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. Now, if that's true about God, and I believe it is, do you believe that to be true? If that's true about God, and I believe it is, that means he has complete authority in this universe, and he can do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants. If that's true, he don't have to be good. Now, I'm thankful he is good. For he is, he is good, therefore he loves. 
He is good, therefore He shows grace. He is good, therefore He shows mercy. He is good, therefore He forgives. But He could be hateful, not loving. He could be vengeful, not gracious. God is good and He forgives us not because of our goodness, but because of His. Let me see if I can illustrate my point for you just a little bit. I, I remember years ago I was working with the highway department. We had a district engineer at that time who was the main boss over our district. And, and he would come out from time to time to where we was working and try, kind of oversee the work and look at what was going on. And we were in Halo, Alabama. I'll never forget it, man. It was in the middle of August. Gosh, it was so hot. We was out there with, uh, with shovels and rakes and, um, and asphalt loops, the big loops, three-foot-wide loops, you know, that you use to, to level out concrete or whatever it is you're trying to level out. And we was using those on asphalt. So we're out there raking that stuff in because it was really in a place we couldn't do it with a machine. We had about a half a load to do, so there was five or six guys standing around, and we were shoveling, raking, looping, doing all that burning Hot, man, it's probably 90, 95 degrees outside. Then you've got that mix on the ground that's, I don't know, what is it, Steve, Two, 200, 250, something like that? Three sometimes. So, I mean, it's just heat coming up, heat all around. It's just hot, miserable. And so we're in there raking and looping and shoveling, and our district engineer is standing over there with us. And one of the guys that was with us, I guess, got tired of seeing him just stand there. So he just takes his shovel and hands it to him. And he looks at the shovel and looks back at the, guy who's trying to hand it to him and he said R-H-I-P and I thought what's that mean and he explained it to us all because we all asked what's that mean and so he said rank has its privileges because he had authority he didn't have to take that shovel now if he wanted the respect of the guys that was around him he probably should have took that rake he probably should have took that shovel but he didn't have to why? Because he had authority. He didn't have to do the right thing, the good thing. He could do whatever he wanted to do because he had authority. The same is true about God. Because God has complete authority, he can do what he chooses. But what he chooses to do, is, it, it, listen to me now, it, it's controlled by his character. And because God is loving Holy, righteous, just, because he is good, he acts in our best interest. And somebody will say, thank you, Jesus. He's so good. He was willing to kill his son so that we might have eternal life. Abundant life. He was willing to put his son on a cross so that we could go free. Think about that. That's how good he is. That's how much he loves you. That's what it took to forgive you and to forgive me. Because the scripture says, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We've got to talk about grace. If you're going to talk about God's unexplainable gift you've got to talk about the incarnation you've got to talk about forgiveness but this morning i want to talk to you about the last and final in this message how many of you know jesus is the way the truth and the life now i'm using 
that scripture for the T in gift because I think maybe the most important word in all of John 14, 6, even though there's some very powerful truth in that verse, maybe the most important and powerful word is that one three-letter word, the. That makes all the difference. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. The, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, that's opposed to a way, a truth, and a life. See, if he left it open to interpretation, he could have just said, I am a way to, to the Father. I am a truth to base your life upon. I am a way to experience life. But he didn't say that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, brother, are you trying to tell me you believe uh, trusting in Jesus is the only way to be made right with God? I'm not just telling you that. I'm telling you Jesus said that. So if you don't agree with that, don't shoot the messenger. All I am is giving you the message that he's already given. You say, brothers, well, that's pretty narrow. Well, then Jesus is pretty narrow. Maybe that's the way he says, why he says that those who are on the way, that'll lead to destruction. But those that are on the narrow way, that will lead to everlasting life. You remember that? Jesus leaves no doubt in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three things that we want to see in this verse this morning. First of all, when he says the way, he's speaking about direction. Then he says, I am the uh, truth. That, that speaks, folks, of, uh, of doctrine. And then he says, I am the life, and that speaks of demand. All right? So what's he talking about? What does all this mean for you and for me? See, I want you to know who Jesus is according to Scripture, but I also want you to know how that applies to you. Because if you don't get down to where the rubber meets the road, then, then it's not going to be practical for you in your personal life or practical for me in my personal life. And I think we can be theologically correct and practically no good. And I don't want to do that. I want to get my theology right, yes, according to the Word of God, but then we got to put it into practice. we got to make it practical for us. So what is Jesus saying to these disciples and to these disciples this morning when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Well, let's look at it. First of all, he says, I am the way, and again, that speaks of direction. It, how many of you understand this morning, you will never get to a desired destination if you don't have directions? You're just going to be wandering. You're just going to be trying this way and that way and hoping you get it right. Unless you have clear direction on getting to a destination, you're never going to get there. And Jesus here in John 14, 6 gives us clear direction on how we get to the Father. Because in context with what is happening here, that's exactly what he's speaking of. Look at John 14 and let's just look at verse number 1. Now you've got to remember, John 14 comes on the heels of John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, Where I'm going, you can't come. I'm fixing to go away. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to go back to this heavenly father. Amen. And he said, where I'm going, you can't come. And that had to just completely crush them. Because here you have these men who have left everything, forsook homes and jobs and family, friends. 
They forsook their life and they followed wholeheartedly after Jesus for three and a half years. And now all of a sudden he says, where I'm going, you can't come. If you're looking for that, you can find it in John chapter 13, up there in, uh, in verse number 31, 32, 33, 34, and 35. All of that's good. He's making it clear to them that I'm leaving right now, you can't go with me. But then he tells them how to get to where he's going. Watch. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Watch. Believe also in me. Isn't that good? He's making the claim that he is God. He said, if you believe in God the Father, believe in me because I am the representation of God the Father. I am God in the flesh. He'll go on to say in just a minute to Philip, he said, Philip, if you've seen me, <laughs> you've seen the Father. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why does he say that? Because he is God in the flesh. Verse 2, watch. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is telling us the destination. He says, my destination is with my father in his home. And in his home, there are many dwelling places. And I'm going to prepare that home for you. I'm going to prepare that home for you. <laughs> Isn't that good news? I want you to think about who's preparing your eternal dwelling place. The God who created all things by his spoken word is preparing for you and for me a dwelling place for eternity. Wow. The scripture says in the book of 1 Corinthians that eyes hadn't seen and ears have not heard the good things that God has laid up for us. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I know it's going to be great, fantastic, amazing. I don't even have a word big enough to describe it. Because Jesus is preparing it for those he loves the, the most. For you and for me. He says, I'm going to prepare a place. His destination is the Father's house. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to give direction. Watch. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, verse number three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Verse four. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Give us the directions to the destination you speak of. How can we get to where the Father is? How do we get to this Father's house that has many dwelling places. How do we get to heaven? Praise God. You know heaven's a real place, don't you? Heaven is not a figment of someone's imagination. It's not an idea thought up by religious minds. Heaven is a real place that Jesus referenced continually. Heaven is a real place where right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Heaven is a real place where saints that have died before us are now dwelling with the Lord. Heaven is real. It's tangible. It's not subjective, but obje objective. Listen, it's there. It's where God is. And so Thomas says, I got to know the way. Give me the directions to this place. Look what Jesus tells him. I am the way. 
the way. Now, if there's ever been a time that Jesus could have left the door open for many different ways to God, it was right here. He could have said, well, Thomas, I tell you what, buddy, just do the best you can do and follow God in the way you think you need to follow God. Listen, live by your truth and I'll live by my truth and this guy over here, he can live by his truth and all of you just do the best you can do and then see if you can get to God. He could have said that, but that's not what he said, is it? He narrows it down and he says, I am the way. You say, now wait a minute, brothers. Roman Christians think that Jesus is the way, but that's not what people who follow Islam, they don't think that. Or those who follow Buddhism, they don't think that. Or th those who um, follow these different religions all over the world, they don't think that. So how do we know that Jesus is really the way? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad. Because we can know. Do you know that? I know Jesus is the way. Listen to me now. First and foremost, because of what he's done in my life personally. But that's not what I want to really focus on. I want to focus on stuff that can be real to everybody because I understand everybody here this morning or everybody listening to me online, they may not be in a place where they've trusted in Christ and been born again and have experienced new life in Jesus. You may not have got there yet, and I stress yet. You can because it's open to everybody. It's a free gift you receive by grace through faith. However, you just may not be there yet. That's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. And I'm trying to tell you what's made a difference with me. And I'm really all I am is just one beggar trying to shout to another beggar where I found bread. That's it. So I, I'm going to use some very practical ways that we can distinguish whether or not Jesus is really the way to the Father. Number one, eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony of him doing things that only God can do. Because remember, that's the claim he made. If you believe in God, believe also in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's making the claim that he is God. How do we know that to be true? Because we have eyewitness testimony straight from the word of God that tells us exactly that. Look with me in John chapter number 20. Uh, keep your place there in John 14. We'll be back in just a moment. But John chapter number 20, starting in verse number 30 and verse number 31. John says, in many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John writing here at the end of his gospel, he says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing ye might have life through his name. What's John saying? I've saw the things he did and I wrote them down in this book so that everybody else might believe. You say, brother, can you really trust, can you really trust in what the book of John says? Listen, if, if, if you can't trust what the book of John says, you certainly don't need to trust whether or not Caesar Augustus was really a, a real person or whether Julius Caesar actually existed or whether Alexander the Great walked the earth because there is much, 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 much more evidence on the validity of the book of John in the New Testament than there's ever been on the history books that contain Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, or anybody else you want to name throughout history. 
John was written by a disciple that walked with Jesus for three and a half years and things he did daily. Saw him heal blinded eyes and cause deaf ears to hear, cast out demonic spirits, walk on water. He saw him raise up Lazarus from the grave. He saw him speak to a fig tree and it wither right there in his sight. He saw him walk on water for goodness sake. And John said, I've wrote these things down so that you might know. Brother, if you will, please put for me John, 1 John chapter number 1, verses 1 and 2. Watch this scripture. I love this scripture. Look how John puts it here. It's almost like the more he, he writes these gospels uh, that he wrote, these uh, books that he wrote, he, he couldn't quit talking about just what Jesus did because he saw it. You can see it in his writing. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled, the word of life. John said, look, I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. I've touched this dude. He was here. He did these things. Verse 2, watch this. The life was manifested, brought into the light. It was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was manifested unto us. Can you say amen? Eyewitness testimony. Of Jesus doing the things only God can do. Let me give you another one. The resurrection. The resurrection. Oh, listen. You've got to do something with the resurrection. That's why I keep telling you, you can't just tip your hat to Jesus and, 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 and say, well, he's, he's a great prophet or he's a great teacher. He was, he was once a great man. He was very wise. All of that's true, but that's not all of it. That's not all the truth. Jesus is God, folks. Yeah, he was a prophet in one sense. Yes, he was a great moral, moral man, absolutely. Yes, he was a great teacher, but he is God. How do I know he is God? How do I know Jesus is God and Muhammad's not? The resurrection. Listen to me. He overcame the grave. That changes everything. Doesn't it? How do we know he overcame the grave? Eyewitness testimony. John said it. Matthew said it. It's amazing. Go read it for yourself. Listen to me, folks. You need to get a hold of this. 500 people seen Jesus after the resurrection. The Bible tells us that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Acts chapter number 1 verses 1 and 2. Luke writing the, the book of Acts. He says, listen, these things I'm writing after Jesus spent 40 days after his passion. After he had died on the cross, he spent 40 days with us. And I'm writing these truths to let everybody know it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said that Jesus was seen of 500 brethren at once. I want you to think about this. If you took those 500 people, gave them 15 minutes to testify, you would have 125 hours of eyewitness testimony on the validity that Jesus actually overcame the grave and stood among them. If you don't want to believe on Jesus as Savior, it isn't because the evidence is not there. How do we know the resurrection is real, Brother Israel? I'll tell you how. First of all, you have eyewitness accounts in the Bible, but you have seven extra biblical accounts, at least that I know of, that 
attest to the fact, historically speaking, that the followers of Christ after his death worshipped him as God. I'm talking about Jewish historians. I'm talking about Roman historians who are saying these things. Seven other places that were not Christian sources. Why would they say it if it wasn't true? Because there's this right in history. That's it. The resurrection changes everything. He is God. And if you want to know God the Father, the way to get to where He is and to know Him is through God the Son. He's the direction. Amen? He's the way. He's the way. The Bible also says He's the truth. And that speaks of doctrine. What is the doctrine that is the truth? It's the doctrine of the personhood of Christ. Amen? Listen. His perfect birth. We've talked a lot about that in the last month. I'm not going to rehash it, but in Luke chapter 1, you remember Mary said to the angel that came and told her, you're about to bear a son. She said, how do these things be? I've never known a man. I've never physically been intimate with a man before. She was a virgin. And, and she said, that's impossible. And the angel said to her in Luke chapter 1, he says, what's impossible with men is not impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus was born perfect, free of the sin nature, so that he might live perfect. So that he could become the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that would take away my sin and your sin. How do I know it? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Put it on the screen, brother. Look what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. For he, meaning God the Father, hath made him, meaning God the Son, to be sin for us. Watch this now. Who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin at his birth, and therefore, because he didn't have the sin nature, he lived perfectly, even in the midst of temptation, for 33 and a half years, becoming the perfect man. In attitude, in action, by birth, he's God incarnate, the God-man, perfect and holy. He knew no sin, that we might be, watch, made the righteousness of God in him. Now, how are we made the righteous of God in Christ? Jesus went to the cross, took the punishment for my sin and for your sin. It was for us he died, for he knew no sin. He was made to become sin for us so that all who trust in him by faith, God then imputes the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. The perfect birth, the perfect life, the sacrificial death. But then the Bible says, the resurrection. He was raised again for our justification. Justification means to be made right. We are only made right because Jesus finished the work. He was born perfect. He lived perfect. He died perfect, sacrificially. And then he rose again. This truth, this truth is what sets us free. Jesus said, I am the truth. He don't just speak the truth. He's the essence of truth. His whole life is truth. It's because of who He is that we can be set free because the truth sets us free. Can you say amen? I am the way. That speaks of direction. I am the truth. That speaks of doctrine. I am the life. That speaks of demand. What do you, say, Brother, what do you mean demand? Do you know Jesus demands something of His followers? 
What he demands is your life. Pretty much what he says is, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow after me. Cross is an instrument of death. We've got to die to our plans, our wants, our needs, and now it's no longer about what we want, but what he wants. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. If you're going to know this life that he's offering, you've got to follow him. Amen? Now, a lot of people think that to be drudgery. Oh, I, goodness gracious, now I've got to follow Jesus. I've got to do this, and I've got to know you ain't got to, you get to. Now you get to be a part of what God is doing in this earth, and there's nothing more exciting than that. When you know God is doing something, are you hearing me? I can tell you stories in my own personal life when I know God showed up at the right time at the right place with the right person and he did something that only he could do and I got to be a part of that, folks. If that won't crank your tractor, nothing will. It's amazing. It's not a burden to follow Jesus. Oh, it's a great blessing to follow Jesus. Life now makes sense to me because of Jesus. He is truly the life. He said, John 10, 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life more abundant. Had a dear brother give me a testimony of him having trusted in the Lord. And it's the greatest testimony I ever heard. You know what he said? It all makes sense now. That hit home with me. I got that when he said it. Because pre-Jesus, before I really trusted in Christ and was born again, life didn't really make sense. My understanding was darkened. The scales were on my eyes. I was blinded by the enemy. But when I trusted in him, Life began to make sense. I realized purpose. Purpose that matters. I realized what peace, true peace is all about. I realized the joy of the Lord is so amazing that the world can't touch. The world offers temporary appeasement. You know why people have trouble with drugs? Because I used to have trouble with drugs. You know why? Those drugs offer temporary appeasement. You know why people have trouble with alcohol? Temporary appeasement. You know why so many people have so much trouble with relationships a lot of times? Because they're looking for temporary appeasement. They're always thinking, if I can just get the right girl, if I can just get the right guy. And they think that true peace and purpose comes in a person or a party or a peel or something. True peace only comes from the Prince of Peace. And when you get him, life begins to make sense. I got what that brother was saying. That hit home with me. He's truly the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Jesus. 
I'm not against Oprah Winfrey, but she's not a theologian. <laughs> at least not a Christian theologian. I remember years ago, and I'm, I'm not mad at her. I, I'm going to go ahead and make a small confession. I, I've actually watched a lot of the Oprah Winfrey show. I mean, <laughs> I always thought how cool it would have been for me to be in the audience whenever she gave away those cars. <laughs> I ain't mad at her. I'm just saying. Years ago, she said publicly on national television that there are many ways to God. You just got to find your own way. Oh, my goodness. Not according to what Jesus says. There's only one way to the Father. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be anything but faithful to preaching the Word of God. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I got one more scripture for you and I'm done. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you walk, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. How, how, what does this mean? Vanity of their mind. That's how people outside of Christ are walking. Verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Why didn't it make sense before? Why couldn't I see the things that are so obvious now? Well, I'll tell you why. I was blinded. My understanding was darkened. Why? Because I was alienated from life in God. But when I got life, when I got Jesus, it's literally just like the light switch came on and things started to clear up. Now, I've still got a ways to go. I'm not where I need to be. Not where I'm going to be. But praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Everybody stand together. Yes, sir. If you need the Lord, you come this morning. This is your invitation. I believe in a good old-fashioned altar experience. I really do because the Lord changed my life and a good old-fashioned altar. And he can yours as well. I'd love to show you what that means, the truth of the Word of God. So if you're here today and you've not yet trusted in Christ as Savior, my message is this. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Would you receive this gift that God has given? That's exactly what He is. He gave Jesus to you, for you. Will you receive Him? Will you by grace through faith receive Him today? If you will, I'd love to show you how through the Word of God. You come this morning if you need the Lord. If you want to come pray for a lost loved one or a lost friend, you want to come pray for your church, you want to come pray for the new year, do that today. Whatever you want to do, these altars are always open and God is always able. Don't wait, you come. Oh, I spoke a word, you were singing
good, brother. Thank you. That's a great way to end this service. Thank you so much for that. Mark 6.34. Listen.